Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody, and happy WASD Day. My name is Kevin Combs, Vice President here at McKinney Favelle, and I've been handed the mic to play host today. And as our fearless leader, Mike Coughlin, is off uh, exploring nature with his son. Today is November 9th, 2022, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. Today, I have two special guests, our very own Nicole Thomas, Vice President of Information Services, and Eric Thornton, Commodity Specialist Extraordinaire. And of course, we're going to talk about the WASD results and all the great news the USDA put out. Why don't we start with you, Nicole? What uh, what did you see out there in the soybean complex, corn, etc.? Well, I just want to say first and foremost, I'm glad it was reasonably quiet. It's <laughs> <laughs> always nice to get a We've little been, reprieve. Just a little reprieve. They gave me a Thanksgiving gift, and uh, hopefully they'll give us a Christmas gift or holiday gift next month. I didn't get a chance to look at all the grains complex focusing on sugar this morning, but I was pleasantly pleased to not see anything limit up. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We joke that <laughs> on WASD days, before we even grab the report, we look at the quote board mm-hmm. and uh, the quote board was was down a little bit, but, you know, not not to the level of volatility where we're, we've grown accustomed to. So I was pretty excited to open the report and there were no special uh, notes or anything of that sort. So it was great. But, you know, really in the in the space of corn, not much in the way of change. I mean, we got a slight increase to ending stocks, which really was was related to uh, slightly better yield. So good to see that uh, USDA raised that yield not too much from 171.9 bushels per acre up to 172.3, kind of following in line with some of the reports we've been hearing of late that things may not have been as bad as they could have been. And with harvest about done, I think we can feel pretty comfortable uh, with these numbers as being being more aligned with what reality is. Interestingly, though, I think the market traders, analysts, etc., were anticipating a reduction to the export category, which we did not get uh, this time around. That remains at, what is it, five, I'm sorry, 2.15 billion bushels. We have noted that, you know, if you look at export uh, sales up to this point for 22, 23, they stand at about 570 million bushels. So that's only about 26% of that current projection and something that could provide hopefully a little bit of room in the balance sheet for us should we need it. Uh, the other interesting thing we saw was the 25 million bushel increase to feed demand. Now that category is tough, as we saw uh, with our surprise in the grain stocks report and, and a sharp increase to that number for 21.22. At this point, uh, looks like USDA is anticipating a 7% reduction in consumption in that category. You know, there are some other bearish forces out there that could lead to, you know, that number being firm or, or uh, uh, potentially I don't know if I want to necessarily say coming down at this point, but hopefully not strengthening too much more in the sense that we've got avian flu is pretty present in the U.S. market right now. And that goes for both egg layer and broiler 
uh, operation. So we, we, we're seeing it in the upper Midwest. We're seeing it in the Southeast. Uh, and we'll see ultimately how that plays into things. Now, it's worth mentioning, last year we got a late start with all of that. Uh, and it was mostly impactful to the egg laying uh, operations in the upper Midwest. And, and lo and behold, we still saw pretty strong corn for feed consumption. And when you're looking at, you know, some of the livestock numbers, nothing out there screams at us that we're going to see demand get pressured uh, much below where USDA is now, which, you know, may have been behind that decision to take it up. Uh, now for the the other question that remains, obviously, is how consumption of everything is going to play out in a recessionary environment, particularly in 2023 with what is likely to be ongoing food inflation uh, and whether or not that could pressure meat consumption, uh, maybe specifically in the food service sector uh, and subsequently help to also keep a lid on that corn usage for feed. But time will tell. And then on the global side of things, uh, we did get a half a million ton decline to ending stocks now below 301 million tons. And that is a 2.2% decline versus 21.22. Within those numbers, reduction to uh, anticipated production, or I guess sort of firming up numbers there too, for South Africa, the EU, and Southeast Asia. Uh, And overall, we saw total demand increase by 500,000 metric tons. So again, kind of kind of uncertain as far as that consumption is concerned. They did not change Argentine or Brazilian production. So those those stand at 55 and 126 million tons respectively. We all know the weather's been less than cooperative in Argentina. Corn planting at the end as of the end of, of last week was only about 23% completed which would be that early season corn, which is typically the best yielding corn. Some indications that they're probably not going to pick up planting much until late November, early December now for that late season corn, which tends to be lower yielding, but we'll see how the weather plays out uh, and that it may be a little a little better by then. Time will tell. But the bottom line is stocks to use at 8.3% for the U.S., 22.1% for the global stocks to use. And accordingly, prices for corn, you know, pretty comfortably in the $6 uh, per bushel uh, area. Not, not, you know, we didn't get anything in today's report that would change that dynamic. What could decide whether we get to the sevens or firmly in the sevens and when really comes down to the remainder of the South American production season and arguably the stiffness of acreage competition uh, with soybeans uh, in the U.S. in 2023. And at least some of the early thoughts on that uh, being thrown around the trade is is that we're going to see an increase to corn acreage, maybe an increase to wheat acreage uh, in relatively flat uh, scenario for soy, which, speaking of, provides a good uh, transition to the soy balance sheet. So we did see ending stocks domestically increase by 20 million bushels. Again, reversal on the yield now pegged higher at 50.2 bushels per acre, which is very, I would say, very firmly in line with with what uh, most analysts have out there today. But without any additional increases to that production, (laughs) this is likely as good as it's going to get for stocks in 22-23. And that's with a stocks to use that is just under 5%. And I say that because both crush and export demand show 
very little in the way of, of signs that um, we've got any slowing consumption to come. More about it in a second when we talk about soybean oil, but that crush uh, was revised a little higher, and I expect that to be the case. And then for soy uh, exports, you know, cumulatively for 22-23, we're currently at $1.187 billion, or, you know, about 58% of USDA's current projection. So we're, we're running pretty strongly there. So it, it it just doesn't look, again, outside of an additional increase to yield, maybe, you know, the discovery of some additional harvested acres that this uh, ending stock scenario would go anywhere other than potentially lower mm-hmm. in that uh, we can make the argument that those soy exports may be a little stronger. Again, very much dependent on, uh, on South America. Speaking of... Uh, things look pretty good from a global standpoint with the ending stocks projection for 22-23 raised by roughly one and a half million tons, which would take us up about 8% from 21-22. And that was despite uh, a reduction to Argentine production that was lowered by one and a half million tons to 49 and a half. Kind of interesting to leave the corn unchanged, but then take the soy down. I might actually argue, you know, that there's, you know, a greater case to be made for a decline in corn production in Argentina uh, relative to soybean production, at least at this stage. But we will see. Do you think the uh, strong U.S. dollar could help us out any with uh, both of these crops? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, for the corn piece, certainly. Some of the strength in, in uh, prices, we have not been competitive uh, by a long shot. But the bean scenario is a little more challenging because uh, although we are, you know, dealing with the the impact of, of stronger currency, Argentina's got some things going on, both in terms of, you know, probably less than ideal production. So not not seeing it, you know, where we're looking at a bin buster crop or anything of that sort and export demand and, and their ability to export, I think, is still not, you know, necessarily where we would want it to be just yet. So, you know, and and it seems that the Chinese appetite for beans is still pretty strong. And that's the other thing. Their imports are projected to rise by six and a half million tons to about 98 million tons. So they need a lot of beans. Just a few. Just a few. So, you know, we could be, be a recipient of that. I think, you know, ultimately where the number stands today on the balance sheet may be a little low. You know, you can make a case for 25 to maybe 50 million bushels of additional demand there. But, you know, time will tell. Also worth mentioning, stocks to use globally is projected at 18.6%. So, again, looking at a little improvement there, which gets us to the oil. So, a couple of things to note. From the, the domestic stand and the domestic market, we actually had beginning stocks carry in for 22-23 lowered by 100 million pounds due to some revisions to 21-22 consumption, which included an increase the biofuel demand of 150 million pounds over the October report. And that was enough to offset a 120 million pound decline in food use. I don't get that second part because, you know, it seems like that that category's usage in, in 21-22 is pretty strong as well. But, you know, when we looked at the impact on the the bottom line for 22, 23, it was relatively minimal because of that increase to crush 
that led to higher production. And that was able to cover that change. Uh, and then meanwhile, for 22-23, they increased food use by 150 million pounds, which was partially uh, offset by a reduction in export demand, 100 million pounds. So going back to, to your comment, uh, Kevin, of, of the currency making us uh, a little less cons- uh, competitive in that global market, not to mention our prices in general and that we need it based on some of these uh, projected increases to to demand, most notably for the biofuel category. But before I go to that, let's just say globally, uh, we saw the uh, soy ending, soybean oil ending stocks raised modestly. We're just above 5 million tons or just below 5 million tons, I'm, I'm sorry, which if actualized would lead uh, to an increase of about 11.5% from last year. But then global ending stocks for vegetable oil as a whole, so inclusive of everything on the edible oil space, was lowered as um, a decline in supply coincided with a slight bump to demand. So overall, those uh, ending stocks are now projected to increase by less than a million tons from 2122. And and we'll we'll have to uh, uh, stay close to that. But my my final comment here, getting kind of back to that soybean oil balance sheet uh, in the U.S. More or less, you know, like I said, the, today's report was more or less a non-event. But do note that soybean oil futures were were stronger, uh, and they started off that way this morning, and that was despite crude oil values being a little lower. So I think what we're seeing here is that if there's anything out of these three markets, uh, in any market that shows the opportunity for some consumption growth and, and additional tightening of stocks, it's going to be soybean oil. Just for perspective, renewable diesel capacity is projected to reach uh, about 3.3 billion gallons in 2023, uh, which would be nearly double that of 2022. And and I'm not saying that we're going to be at full utilization by any stretch of the imagination. But I think, again, if we're looking at categories of, of potential growth relative to the current projections, that's going to be one of them. And what remains to be seen, you know, the impact of uh, low domestic petroleum-based diesel stocks and how that's going to play into this biofuel demand uh, future decisions on feedstock use. So will we ultimately be using canola oil and or can some of these technologies uh, that are currently in development to utilize crude oil make a difference? Crude soybean oil, that is. And then ultimately, because they've been so closely aligned, crude oil prices, and especially in an uncertain geopolitical and global economic situation. So like I said, just appreciate it being relatively calm, but I also uh, look at these scenarios as opportunity, perhaps, before things get more interesting down the road. So that's what I got. Awesome. Thanks for that excellent recap on corn and soybean complex, Nicole. Let's move over to you, Eric. What do you got on wheat today? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Uh, really, not a ton to cover on wheat, so my update might be relatively quick, but you know, after consecutive reports uh, with numerous changes for wheat. We, we got kind of a breather today with really no major surprises, minor adjustments to the U.S. balance sheet, uh, 7 million bushel increase to food demand, 2 million bushel decrease to seed demand. So net that out, ending stocks 
fall just slightly down to now 571 million bushels, which still is the lowest uh, we would see since 0708. But uh, really, you know, no major changes there other than to Nicole's point as it relates to corn exports, you know, some argument could be made, you know, USDA may lower that target once again, but since they just lowered it uh, by 50 million bushels in the October WASDE report, you know, maybe they're just waiting another month or two to get more export data. But to this point, since their October update, we've still been running well below the weekly pace needed to hit that now 775 million bushel target, which even if that hits, would be the lowest in 50 years, but we're still struggling to even reach that pace needed at just seeing sales of four to seven million bushels per week. So that'll need to improve greatly. But uh, you know, with the firm dollar and still stiff global competition and, and the U.S. FOB wheat price the most uncompetitive in the global landscape, it's challenging to see that that uh, you know that export target hits since we're already six months into the marketing year for wheat. So U.S., not a whole lot. Globally, not a whole lot. Uh, Some expected changes to Argentina's crop moving lower. Uh, We've been citing that uh, for a few months now with some unfavorable dry conditions there and drought in combination with lower or fewer acres, I should say, for wheat this year. So definitely we're anticipating a reduction there. USDA came off 2 million metric tons to now 15.5 million metric tons. And I'll still say that's probably a, a slightly optimistic still, even at that level. You know, most of the industry belief is that crop somewhere between, uh, as, well, I'll say as low as 13 million metric tons to uh, maybe barely hitting 15 million metric tons. So could still see further revisions there. But even if the 15 and a half does hold for whatever reason, that's still talking a 30% reduction to that crop versus last year. So if we fall further, that percentage comparison is only going to grow higher. And we'll have to see how that plays out in the next few updates. And really, aside from just marginal changes to imports, demand for feed and uh, domestic use, you know, all less than a million metric ton and ending stocks still sitting there at 267 million metric tons for, I think, the fourth consecutive month. So even though we've seen a myriad of changes over the months, the global balance sheet just hasn't moved all that much. So that uh, situation remains, um, from a stock standpoint, as tight as we've seen since 2014-15. So all in all, narrative is much the same. U.S. global stocks, historically tight. Uh, Prices supported. I'll say, though, that you know, I think because of the relatively uh, sigh of, of relief of no major shocks today, I think we're kind of seeing that filter into wheat prices. Um, you know, KC Chicago wheat down 15 to 25 cents a bushel. Spring wheat prices down about a dime. So a little bit of a reprieve there and, and still um, going to be very much focused on the winter wheat crop ratings, which are very poor the weather and geopolitically around Russia, Ukraine, which also probably helping to see some pressure today with reports that maybe Turkey has uh, offered up a one-year extension of the corridor deal. Just kind of rumors at this point haven't really been able to confirm that, but that's probably aiding into some of today's WASDE pressure, which really isn't related to the report. So that's what I have, Kevin. All right. Excellent, Eric. Appreciate it as usual. And uh 
we'll hope uh, this sigh of relief continues for a while longer and we get some more calm and keep that corridor open. Fingers crossed. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm going to cover sugar and try to keep this quick as well. There wasn't a whole lot of super interesting despite the numerous changes this month. USDA was able to make some final revision numbers based on uh, SMD reports to 21.22, which resulted in ending stocks up 41,000 tons. But really, the big interesting numbers were just on production because USDA had made a big increase uh, last month in uh, cane numbers for Louisiana. This month, they had to back that off on lower early harvest than what they uh, expected and took 59,000 tons out of 2122 uh, Louisiana production. And uh, on the beet side, however, they ended up with a much higher early harvest than they expected, and they raised beet production for 2122 by 77,000 tons. However, uh, there were some offsetting changes because they ended up lowering 2223 by 68,000 tons. So net-net, they actually lowered beet production 33,000 tons. And I'm sitting here continually to talk about how the beet production is understated and it should be going up and i'm still i'm going to go back down double down on this once again and say that uh, usda is lower on beet production and it really just comes down to red river valley and you know we're hearing one of the largest co-ops there's production is looking excellent close to record overall not because of the beet tonnage but because of sugar content and you know Tonnage being okay, despite all the uh, late plantings, etc., that took place this year. So I am doubling down again and saying that beet production number is going to come up in the coming months, but uh, kind of perplexed by it's not. And I think, you know, they're probably not looking at higher sugar content really across the board for most of the sugar industry. And, you know, certainly there was some lower acreage in the plains. So it's the hail damage. In fact, we got a Another force majeure letter, Eric. I know you got the same email I did today mm-hmm. talking about how that production is lower. So USDA still seems to be looking at some of that pessimistic tonnage numbers and not some of the other numbers going on there. And then on Mexico, they actually uh, lowered Mexico imports. And you looked at the stocks to use ratio. And it's like, oh, they're taking into account the suspension agreements and lowering Mexico early. But apparently when you read the commentary, uh, USDA actually lowered it based on Mexico's availability of sugar for the export markets. And they lowered Mexico 194,000 tons and miraculously hit 13.5% stocks to use ratio as a result. In addition, we've been talking about doubling down again, the high tier tariff import numbers. So they raised that 25,000 tons this month from 50 to 75, but we've had three years in a row where this has been over 200,000 tons. And this year, high-tier tariffs hit a whopping 390,000 tons. And if anyone pays attention to what the duties are, 15 cents plus per pound for raw sugar, 16.21 cents per pound for refined sugar. You know, just throw in a nice 15.4 cents per pound. That is a whopping $120 million of tariffs collected by the U.S. Customs this year. So, holy cow. On the uh, demand side, we also saw some revisions this month. The USDA lowered their food use deliveries. That was a reflection of lower uh, direct imports to consumer demand 
in September that led to that. And thus, they did come up with some miscellaneous demand of 65,000 tons this month, which previously had been zero. So it's offsetting overall use did not lower that whole amount. But uh, now they've lowered 22-23 demand by 25,000 tons as well, but now reflecting instead of a slight drop in food use deliveries, they're showing a slight, very small uh, increase there. So again, sugar, kind of like what you were saying, Eric, with wheat, there's not a lot of changes there overall. But when you look at this lowering of demand, lowering of imports from Mexico, et cetera, it does set a little bit of a bullish tone to the marketplace with just overall supplies being down almost 200,000 tons. And we did see the 16 market up uh, a penny on the uh, nearby contract. So certainly some reflection there of we still got a tight marketplace and uh, it isn't looking to get any better soon. And, you know, we might not see a whole lot of changes until we get to the spring and USDA being able to increase imports, reassign TRQ shortfalls, which are also at a very large 255,000 tons right now. And uh, I think it's going to be another busy year for the USDA on uh, not only managing the supply demand forecast here, but uh, measures to help out with the supplies, especially if they are correct in that Mexico has short. Personally, I think Mexico is going to be there and they're going to have sugar to meet all that demand, especially when you consider that the U.S. prices are so high that it makes a lot more sense for them to ship to the U.S. market first before they ship anything to uh, IMEX or anything like that. But again, USDA's formula is what matters most, and they're the ones that uh, set those quotas up for Mexico. So we'll see how uh, how they adjust that as the year develops. Interesting times ahead. Interesting times ahead, as always. But uh, we shall see. So anyway, any uh, more comments for you guys? Good on my end, I think, for today. All right, great. I, I can't cheer on my team these these days. So <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. I'm well, done when our talking. teams combine for barely a five hundred record, that's so bad. Bad, bad <laughs> news. From, uh, looking at the playoffs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be cheering on somebody else while leaving <laughs> chips. Very good. All right, thank you, everybody want to thank everyone for joining and listening in and remind you, if you like our information, check out our IQ platform and you can get more information by going to our website, mckinney-flavelle.com. And of course, also want to remind people, we thought we were going to have a webinar today, but we had to uh, reschedule that when we realized it was WASD. <laughs> I'm not sure how uh, Nicole Whoops. and I missed that, but when we scheduled it, we did. Yep. So again, our Fall market uh, update will be on Wednesday, November 16th at 11 a.m. So uh, you can also go to our webpage and register for that. And with that, that wraps up our weekly hot commodity podcast. want to thank everyone for listening in. And as Mike always says, live with an attitude of gratitude. And until next time, take care. Bye-bye. See ya. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit mckinney-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.